0: I have a belly full of vegetable soup, which is very suitable in this freezing cold January weather, and I'm about to talk about Nottingham Forest with you.
1: Well, I mean, it it doesn't get much better than talking about forest, does it, on a cold night
0: like tonight. I can't think of anything better, Um, especially because we'll be talking about your book, The Church of Stuart Pearce, which I suppose is what Nottingham Forest is these days. I will ask my first question. What are forest... What is their position in the modern British football landscape?
1: It's an interesting one uh, because Forrest obviously have a very celebrated history, but I think it's a a history that's weighed quite heavily on us for the last few decades um, and kind of manifested itself within our own fan base as much as anybody else in terms of creating probably unrealistic expectations. And uh, I mean... we. The the strange thing is, is that uh, we're we're currently sort of in the bottom half of the second tier. So obviously the the championship, as it's uh, known as these days, um, which is actually pretty much exactly the position we were in in the mid 70s, um, a point when a certain Mr. Clough rocked up in Nottingham. You know, in a sense, we're, we're sort of back to where we were and as if... You know, those two European Cups and all of that never really happened, really. That's Um,
0: fascinating. So you've you've regressed to the meme. But this is Nottingham, the birthplace of football. Well, you you always sort of hear people
1: being quite dismissive about Nottingham, saying, you know, Nottingham's not really a a football town in the same way that people talk about other places sort of having football ingrained in the sort of consciousness. But yeah, I mean, uh, in terms of... uh, Length of history. Uh, obviously, they dropped out of the football league uh, a couple of seasons ago. But Notts County obviously always had the status as being the uh, oldest league club in the country. It's disputed but Forest are believed to be second oldest. There's been there's been long arguments about whether it's us or Stoke City. I mean, I'm I'm personally not too fussed to be honest, because it's a, a long time before my time. Uh, but uh, yeah, we you know we certainly go back a lot longer than uh, some of these, you know, relatively new clubs that, uh, um, you know, get 1865. I know some kind of very, very well-established clubs weren't formed until decades after then. So football's certainly been around in this town for as long as anywhere in the country.
0: Yeah, and I noticed you call it town. its it, I've been to Nottingham a few times and it has a town feel rather than a city feel. It, it reminded me of Leicester. Oh more than anything, which is another town city. There is a cathedral in Nottingham, it is a city, isn't it?
1: Yeah, that's right. We've. I mean, the reason, uh, I believe the reason our stadium at Forest is called the City Ground is because I think the story is is that it opened uh, the same year Nottingham was officially oh. declared a city because it's always been a bit of an anomaly because the City Ground isn't actually in the city of Nottingham. It's, it's south of the river, so it's therefore in uh, what's actually... Uh, Classed as Rushcliffe Borough rather than Nottingham City. Um, It's something that Notts County fans like to regularly remind us of. They kind of talk about how they're they're actually the only team in Nottingham and uh, we should rename ourselves uh, Rushcliffe Forest or or something. Uh, But yeah, I I completely agree. I mean, if you... I'm Nottingham born and bred. And if you talk to anyone who's from here and they talk about going into the city centre... They'll never say, "Oh, I'm going into the city centre. It's always, "I'm off into town." Mm-hmm. It is a city, but Nottingham is is quite small and compact. You know, you can you can walk around the whole city centre, yeah. Which you know, I quite like that personally.
0: And it's got the castle. The has the castle been closed most of the last year?
1: It has. Yeah, they're doing. They're spending a lot of money on it. That's so, true. I, mean, I've, I think it. Yeah, I think they've, they've sort of acquired funding to sort of make it a bit more of a. A visitor attraction. I'm not quite... I mean, personally, I always think it's a pretty rubbish castle. It doesn't look like a castle. It just looks like a kind of a manor house on a hill. And, you know, if you want to make Nottingham probably more of a tourist destination than it is, they should just level it and build like a proper Disney castle up there. I think that would be amazing. <laughs> Although, I don't know, probably never happen. Let's be realistic.
0: Well, Or you could just turn <laughs> the city ground into Cloughville. You kind of... Out-of-work actors going, young man, young man, just wandering around the place. And then kind of Timothy Spall lookalikes like five metres away, doing all the hard work. This is a, I, I'm a Watford fan. And uh, on the 6th of March, so in a matter of days as this goes out, Watford host Nottingham Forest. And uh, I just want to read out the Chris Hewton score scorelines, because it's quite fun. I'm sure you know about this, but... From the time that Chris Hewton took over on October sixth, one nil, one one, one one, one one nil, one two, one two nil, nil two nil till nil one nil 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 two one two one three two nil one one nil nil one one, and recently one nil. So functional, Chris Hewton sides.
1: Well, we. I mean, I know he's kind of had that reputation. He came in though to steady the ship of a team that just. Wasn't scoring goals. Well, we, we we started the season with Sabri Lamucci as uh, manager or or head coach, as he I think his official title was, as is often the way these days. Um, uh, who, having done very well last season, albeit it all fell apart at the end, uh, had a, a a really ropey start this season. I think we'd lost five on the spin, and I think only scored one goal. So yeah, he whilst. What results we've achieved under Hughton haven't been brilliant. Uh, it has been an improvement. So yeah, I mean, it, but the the Sabri Lamucci team was by no means a, a free scoring team. Again, last season, a lot of the wins were by the single goal. It has been a bit of a, a frustration for Forest fans. It just feels like, although we did have largely a decent season last season, and as I say, it only fell apart right at the end when we imploded in. On, on the last game of the season and somehow managed to grab seventh place from the jaws of
0: sixth place in the playoff spot. Oh, it was horrible. It has felt like, well, it's, yeah, I mean, to be honest, as Forest fans, we're so mm-hmm.
1: thick-skinned. We've, we've had so many instances of spectacular, dramatic yeah, but... collapses, be it re- relegations, playoff, yeah. playoff failures, that... You almost just shrugged your shoulders and laughed. It, it,
0: it was ridiculous. It wasn't just laughable. It was kind of corpsing because it was like the last kick. Swansea overtook Nottingham Forest.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's honestly though. It says every. I think it was before kickoff. There needed to be a. Uh, I think it was like a, a six-goal yeah, swing. Yeah. And and, uh, and and pretty much everybody's saying, "Oh no, you you'll 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 be all right, even if you lose by a couple, they're not going to." Win by three. Of course, we ended up losing by three, and I think they won something. I can't remember the exact mathematics, but it will tell you everything about what it's like being a Forest fan. That pretty much everybody I spoke to who's a fellow Forest fan that day had the complete heebie jeebies, and you know, we're going to mess this up. And of course, we did, so.
0: But it it would have been tough in the playoffs because it would have been Brentford first and then Swansea? Yeah, I mean,. Preston.
1: Yeah, it's something, something like that. I mean, I, I personally don't think we were ever. I mean, it sounds like I'm making excuses. Uh, I've been saying the whole because we were we were sort of top six for most of the season, and we literally dropped out, as you say, in like the last couple of minutes of the season. But I've been saying all along, I thought we were in a false position. Where we finished was probably a fair reflection overall, albeit it was hugely disappointing to drop out in the way that we did and I think to be honest the, the bad start to the current season we've had it was almost as though there was a bit of a hangover from that um, in some in some senses particularly with it having been a, a relatively short summer break before we all started again compared yeah. to what it normally is.
0: It seems very similar to what happened at Watford with Javi Gracia 18 months ago great end of the season in the cup masked by some terrible league form I remember seeing former Nottingham Forest winger, Mikhail Antonio, destroying Watford as a West Ham player at the end of that season. And uh, I, I won't jump around too much, but I'm going to go backwards in time so that we end up with Nottingham Forest in the first division, because we're going back to 1989 in a kind of reverse time machine, uh, because this was your first game. But we'll get there when we get there. But all of this is in support of your book, which came out in 2018, The Church of Stuart Piss which celebrates 25 years of support of Nottingham Forest, Rushcliffe FC. So, um, Lamucci had the likes of Joe Lolly and Matty Cash. I'm a big Joe Lolly fan. He seems like a mensch. He's a a good human being to have.
1: He does, yeah. I mean, I've seen... uh, I believe he's he's come off social media in lots of times, uh, so you don't tend to hear so much from him anymore. But I have seen interviews, and he, he just seems to be somebody who's you know, thinks for himself and has, has his own opinions, which I think, uh, a lot of football is so robotic these days and just kind of, you know, you, you hear all this, you know, Oh yeah. Unlucky today, lads, but we go again next week. And it's just so banal and formulaic, everything they say, probably because it's written by their agents. (laughs) Um, but yeah, Joe Lolly seems to be a, a good egg. He's seems quite intelligent, uh, he, uh, I know, I know he was late into professional football, so perhaps he's got a bit more of a bit more of rooting in real life than a lot of them. I know he uh, he actually did a degree, I believe, and was playing at kind of amateur level in his early twenties, and kind of managed to get a break, which is quite rare because I think we're in an era now where if you if you've not kind of on the books of a club by your fourth, by the time you're about fourteen, you, you've kind of missed the boat, really, generally, which is which is bizarre when you think about it.
0: I hope we go to ship lots of English players over to American colleges. I think that will really help. It certainly helped Germany um, and all the American team of players going to Germany and then certain players going to um, college. But maybe that, that'll be a way through. Or you could do what Matty Cash, your player of the year last season, has done and made the leap to Premier League. Matty Cash plays for Aston Villa now. Have you been following him this season?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, was, uh, I was always a big fan of Matty Cash. Uh, he obviously came through, came through the ranks at, uh, at Forest, and he was a bit of a happy accident last season because he'd always played. He'd never really pinned down a regular starting place. He'd always been sort of maybe midfield, right wing, left wing. He was a bit of a utility man. Right on the eve of last season, our first choice uh, right-back got a bad injury, And he kind of stepped in, and there was a few eyebrows raised. You Matty Cash at right back, really, but he just absolutely took that position and made it his own. And was, I think, there were question marks raised about the fee that Villa paid us for him in the summer. I think it was six; it was like fourteen million, rising to sixteen million. But based on some of his performances I've seen this season, I think it it always feels preposterous to me, even when we're talking the relatively small sums of sixteen million. Uh, It seems preposterous to say that anyone's worth that. But in the current footballing transfer market, for a young English player who seems comfortable at that level, you'd say that that's been good business by by Villa and good on him because he really just, he was a player who gave everything for us. He's got such a good engine. And uh, yeah, I don't think any Forest fan begrudged him the opportunity to go and play on the biggest stage.
0: Yep, and he's doing very well at Aston Villa. Um, Eric Lehigh was a right back. As well, I think he was your player of the year a few seasons ago. He seems Forest through and through, Lehigh.
1: Yeah, he was a good player. Um he, he, I'm not even sure if he's still there, but he moved on. He moved on to Hull. I can't even remember which manager it was at the time. This is <laughs> the thing with Forest. I suppose it's a bit like yourself with Watford. You just lose track because we we change them so
0: often. But whichever manager it was at the time, possibly Karanka. i guess Karanka. Yeah,
1: just didn't really fancy him as part of the first team setup, and he was just allowed to go, and he went to Hull. and I'm assuming he's probably still there, but he, he's not somebody I've
0: really heard much of since he left Forest. To be honest, is Ben but Osborne? Yeah, good I'm sorry, is Ben Osborne still at Forest?
1: No, he went about. He's at Sheffield United now. Another player who's come up through our academy um it's just, we've had some really good young players come through it's just unfortunate we end up we seem to end up selling them and mm. but then that's probably a reflection of our status in the as a club in the grand scheme of the footballing world these days you know anyone who's good is going to probably want to move on and have a crack at playing in the premier league
0: and then of course what happens is if they don't reach that level or if they get edged out of the squad of 25 they drop back Um, Michael Dawson is currently the captain of Nottingham Forest I don't think there's a better captain in the division
1: yeah he's not played a great deal since he's come back he's had a lot of a lot of niggling injuries however even if he's not necessarily playing every week he's a really good figure to have around the rest of the squad Um, just for his experience and leadership I mean certainly I think it's been beneficial to uh, Joe Warrell, who's one of our sort of current first-choice centre halves. Again, a young lad who's come through the the Forest Academy. I mean, you can't really learn from anybody better, really. By the way,
0: Joe Warrell sounds like a kind of Kenny Burns. Just the name evokes that. Is it Larry Lloyd? Joe Warrell? I think it's in the in the it, traditions of Forest. It's, it's a
1: proper footballer name, isn't it? You, yeah. you sort of do, you get less and less of those. Yeah, he, he could have. He could, he could have easily. You could slot the name Joe Warrell into a lineup from the, you know, the nineteen fifties, and it wouldn't look out of place, really. Yeah. And is um, he,
0: is he a modern centre half?
1: He's actually, he's quite an old fashioned centre half. I would say, you know, he's a he's a big, a big lad, no nonsense, good at heading it, just really solid. Um, for all the virtues of your kind of modern centre half, so I think there will always be a place for that sort of player. Um, particularly in a league like the Championship.
0: The Championship is a league that people can tackle in. Harry Arter, he can tackle. Not particularly well liked by Watford fans, uh, but he's ended up at Nottingham Forest. I imagine Chris Hughton will play him quite a bit. Harry Arter.
1: He's been in and out of the team. Actually, um, he had a long time at Bournemouth, where he was, you know, a kind of a mainstay player. Um, he's not really captured any particular form since he arrived at Forest and he's been in and out of the team but yeah hopefully we'll start to see more of him because on paper it looked a really good signing when he came in he obviously was part of the uh, Fulham team last season that uh, got promoted but yeah we've just not really seen a lot of him but yeah certainly w- what we do know of him that he's, he's not shy at, put, at uh, putting a foot in a midfield which obviously every team needs Somebody who can do that.
0: Yep, and I, I wish him well. There were five games um, that in a row. I think is it uh, November, December, where Nottingham Forest failed to score. Um, Sammy Amiobi, Lewis Graben, Lyle Taylor, Anthony Knockhart. Is that gelling now?
1: Um, Graben has missed a lot of the season through injury, uh, which, which hasn't helped. So we've never really had a we've never really had a consistent front five anyway because of that so lyle, lyle taylor's sort of played quite a bit and is having signed in the summer so he's still relatively new to the club but yeah he's looked quite lively the problem we seem to have is we usually play with just one up front so it's usually either taylor or grabben a real issue is that and this was the same we had this problem last season i mean, to be, how on earth Graben scored twenty goals last season as a, playing as a lone striker and cutting a very isolated figure is beyond me. I mean, if you'd stuck him in a good Barcelona team, he'd have probably scored sixty last season. Um, we've really seemed to struggle to get the to get much support up to our lone striker, and that really has been our Achilles' heel in terms of our struggle to score goals in the last not just this season, but I would say in the last sort of year and a half, really. Start, knockout looks like he's starting to come into his own. Um, of course, as a Watford fan, you obviously remember him for the, the legendary missed penalties. Well, yeah, but we too. also
0: we also remember. I saw him the next season when Leicester came to Watford. He was uh, unplayable. He was just brilliant. And I think he's one of those players. It's either an eight or a four. It's never a six.
1: Yeah, and, and I think you can live with that as long as uh, as long as you are getting those regular eights. Uh,
0: yeah.
1: I mean. It, we have to be realistic. If he was playing, if he was putting in eight out of ten performances every <laughs> yeah, week, it wouldn't, we, wouldn't be yeah, Forests, you know. It's, it's it'd be would be sort of in the Premier League somewhere. It's,
0: and, it's you know. fascinating to see those kind of players. We had it with De La Feu. You can tell there was a player who was good enough to play for Milan or Barcelona, but he's at Watford. Pereira just went missing for too many games last season. I wonder how many of the players who have been the fans' Forests player of the year this century, um, I have spoken at length to Daniel's story about Nottingham Forest, so I won't repeat it too much, but a lot of the players are cult heroes. Chris Cohen, Player of the Year twice. Um, tell us about Chris Cohen. He's an interesting interesting player.
1: He had a, a long career. with. I think he was with us for about 11 years. And then he had to finish... He had a horrendous horrendously bad luck with injuries. Um, He came back from, I think, three separate kind of career, what could have been career-ending injuries. Uh, So I think although he was with us for about 11 years, he probably played less games than he might have done in such a period of time. I think we're talking like around about the 300 mark, uh, though. But yeah, just a really good, solid, honest pro who would, you know, Go out on the pitch and give absolutely everything. Always spoke very well. You know, good role model. You'd hear about him doing a lot of stuff in the the community. As well as all those virtues. I think Forest fans have a real soft spot for him just because of how determined he was in in coming back from all those injuries. Uh, I I think the the third injury was ultimately he never really looked the same player and he he didn't play many games before sort of throwing in the towel and going into coaching and he, he actually remained with Forrest in a, working with our academy for a while but he's actually actually last year moved on to become part of the Luton coaching setup oh, so he's no longer involved with in Forest. <laughs> but yeah hopefully you know, I think he's somebody who all Forrest fans would wish well and uh, hopefully he'll go on to have a really successful career in, in coaching or even management if that's
0: the way he wants to go and fun fact Nathan Jones who is the Luton manager left Brighton as Chris Hutton's number two to start managing so there is a link there. A couple of other players. We know of Mikel Antonio. Would you say Antonio is far and away the best player Forrest have had in the last 10 years?
1: Um, that's a good question. Um, he's got to be up there. He was He was exceptionally good. Um, and I think a shrewd signing by uh, Stuart Pearce, who was the manager at the time who brought him in. I think he paid a million pounds for him from uh, Sheffield Wednesday, where I think he'd kind of... Sheffield, Sheffield Wednesday had kind of been all right, but not a world beater. But Forrest, he looked unplayable. I mean, we played him as a winger, mm-hmm. but he was a player. He could just pick up the ball and run at people. And almost, he's so strong. And I remember him, you know, I remember him scoring a goal where he, he kind of went past five players. I think it was against Fulham. But it was—it wasn't like that kind of elegant, messy going past five plays. He almost just sort of was like a battering ram going, going through them. Um, obviously, he, he went on to West Ham. I think we within—I think within less than two years of us buying him for a million, I think we paid sort of to seven million. So we, good bit of business. But or, you know, he's, he, he uh, equally West Ham would—I'm uh, uh, sure—would say that
0: they've got their money's worth out of him. And
1: oh, and beyond. Obviously he's, yeah. Yeah, I mean, obviously he's gone on to become a kind of an out-and-out striker, which is interesting. It's always interesting when players sort of evolve from one position to another.
0: Um, I count three or four goalkeepers among the top players in the last 25 years. The great Dave Besant, Paul Gerrard, who was at Everton. I think Darius Darius de Vries was a goalkeeper. Lee Camp definitely was.
1: Paul Gerrard, I think, kind of came to us at the Fag end of his career, and he was he, he was steady for us, but I think very much sort of on the downward spiral towards one of many players who I think has sort of come to Forest for a last paycheck. Really, not that he let us down particularly, um, but yeah, I don't know. It, it doesn't he doesn't leap out as being you know one of our great great goalkeepers. Lee Camp was a big character, always always quite mouthy, always. Sort of in the thick of the drama when we played Derby, um, who uh, he Derby being a club that he he played for previously, so there, there was always a bit of uh, sort of needle there. Um, but yeah, Dave Besson, great character. I mean, again, he came to us late in his career, but was still absolutely spot on for us. Uh, yeah, he was uh, uh, he was the go- he was our goalkeeper the last time we got promoted to the Premier
0: League, which was. Yeah, back in uh,
1: 1998,
0: so... boy. Oh boy. Yeah. So, And since then, um, there are a couple names leap out. Uh, Andy Reid is now a pundit, um, giving his Irish um, accent to the airwaves. Are you following his punditry career, Andy Reid?
1: Yeah, he, he, do you know what it caught? He, I think he's he does a lot on Radio 5 Live, yeah. I believe, uh, because he... I, I I must admit, I don't listen to a lot of radio... Um,
0: well, yes, because of the kids, I imagine.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, uh, but I happened to be in the car, and I stuck stuck and, and I knew there was a, a Premier League match on, and I, so I stuck Five Live on. It was one of those where I know that
0: voice, <laughs> yeah, and it, was, and it was Andy Reid, and, I, and so yeah, it was quite, it was quite a pleasant
1: surprise to hear him, and uh, yeah, he's he's uh, he's quite an articulate guy, so yeah, and I, I know he's, I think he's involved in. Uh, Coaching with the Republic of Ireland set up as
0: well, so he's obviously got a, a few irons and a few fingers in a few pies in terms of his post-footballing uh, career. So he's got a yeah, good agent. Wonderful play. Yeah, he was. He always well, yeah. He's about two foot tall, but tricky. When wingers could be tricky wingers, crossing and hitting the byline, he seemed to be one of the best.
1: He really came into his own when he came back to Forest because we, had, if you remember, he had two spells. We came through the youth, ranks. We sold him for big money to Tottenham. He was there for a few years, moved around to other clubs and eventually came back to Forest. Um, I think he was at a point in his career where he couldn't run up and down the wing anymore. Not that being a pacey winger was necessarily ever his, his thing. Um, but he ended up sort of playing in a kind of a, a deep midfield role where he just became that player who you just gave him the ball and he just knew what to do with it and so intelligent. And he almost became a bigger player for us then in the twilight of his career than he, than he had been as a young star being chased by all the Premier League clubs.
0: I think that's um, good yeah, if, was... if you couldn't go back to a workplace that you'd grown up in where you know a lot of the people and add value to the club. I think that's a great thing. Um, Watford, Tom Cleverley and Ben Foster have done that at Watford. They were briefly employed or loaned to Watford. And they've, they're now in the team. Uh, they're, they're big squad members. Do you have any expectation? Are you going to say Forrest should finish 11th this season? I think this is just a steadying the boat season. There's something we need to look nervously over our shoulders.
1: I like to think we've got enough in our squad to be confident that we're, we're hopefully not going to be relegated having said that we've been there enough times and we have ended up being relegated um, but yeah I mean I think it, this season is essentially a write-off it, it would take something exceptional to climb
0: up the table and make a challenge for the playoffs from the position that we're in I think it's the same so, for Watford yeah. again it's it's that kind of
1: thing of, of supporting a team like Forest it's, there's always next year and uh, I think we're already in that mindset, really.
0: Well, we hope for a good game at Vicarage Road. As it stands, this weekend is Watford against Nottingham Forest, but with the amount of postponements going on, certainly with Aston Villa, it's very worrisome. And with variants, it's at this point that I ask, how is it having two two young children in the house during a pandemic?
1: Um, it's uh, challenging. I mean, I, I I have a full-time job, which I am luckily able to do from home, and I have been since pretty much entirely since March 2020. What is it? What do you do? Uh, uh, I'm a civil servant, so basically just um, my role would normally involve just faffing around in an office all day, so I now just faff around in front of
0: my laptop at home all day. Uh, Living or, the dream. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I
1: mean, you know, we we'll, we'll have to pay the, pay the bills, um, but uh, yeah, uh, currently, and obviously for much of 2020 that is juggled with trying to keep my kids occupied and uh, fortunately my employer and my employer is very sort of reasonable and understanding I mean I suppose they've they probably they don't really have a lot of choice in that I suppose you could say but uh, um and yeah it's uh, the days that the days are long and full-on but it's certainly never boring and uh you know and I, I kind of Above anything, though, I'm, I'm I'm just sort of grateful that I've still got a job because I know a lot of people who have uh, lost their jobs due to COVID and are really struggling. So, yeah, you've got to kind of take the positives where you can, I think.
0: Mm-hmm. And how old are the kids now?
1: Four. Uh, eldest is six. My youngest is four.
0: So probably a bit young to know what a Brian Clough is in a few years' oh, time. God, oh, really?
1: Yeah, no, they are, re- they are big into football, which is... I always tried to not impose my own passions too much on my kids, although you say that I think even if you try not consciously try not to do that, you maybe do it subliminally anyway for people of my age, this is probably the equivalent of panini stickers they 've both got really into match attacks cards mm. uh, which like the um, but all the, the match attacks cards only really encompass the level of football, which is the teams playing in the Champions League. But they are developing encyclopedic knowledge of, you know, players who play for like uh, Borussia Dortmund, Chelsea, Celtic. You know, basically all the teams in Europe competing. So they'll they'll come to me and go, "Oh, Daddy, is uh, is Christian Pulisic good at heading?" And I'm like, (laughs) "I don't know. I'm a Forest fan." (laughs) (laughs) You know, ask ask me about somebody who plays for, for. Coventry or somebody I might be able to give you I might be able to give you a bit more insight so. well, I think
0: that's it's a shame, this kind of siloing of elite football and the rest and then the rest of the rest Nottingham Forest have stars on their shirts because they won the European Cup twice and yet nowadays like Celtic they're nowhere
1: so yeah it's, yeah. An, it's an interesting one as well we, we, we often get shamed by other fans for being proud of our history as well um and it's kind of like, well, what are we supposed to do? Are we supposed to just ignore it and just revel in the fact that we're not very good now? I mean, I think, I mean, I've always uh, kind of had a sense of humor about Forrest and their various struggles uh, I don't think you could accuse me of living in the past because if you talk to me about Forest, I'll generally just have a laugh and a joke about how terrible we are and have largely been for 20 years. But yeah, I I, I don't think there's anything wrong with being proud of your heritage and your history. Uh, As long as you don't just bang on, as long as that's not just all you bang on about, you know. I I think there's there's a lot of clubs who who would give a lot to have the history that we've got. I mean, I don't know, maybe that's it really.
0: I just hope you create some of this history. In In the second half, we will talk about what it is to be a fan. Um, but I just wanted to ask you to fill in the gaps. There's a little game to conclude the first half. So we know Frank Clark, the late Frank Clark, was manager of Nottingham Forest after Brian Clough left in 1993. Fill in the gap. Okay. Stuart Pearce, Dave Bassett, blank David Platt.
1: Oh, my goodness. If
0: That's you need it. a clue...
1: It's Ron Atkinson, isn't it?
0: Seven games. Which one was the most fun? Um, probably not the most fun. It's uh, certainly not for us Forest fans. Uh, the most famous one was, I think it was his second home game. We got done 8-1 by Man
1: United. Ooh. And Solskjaer came off the bench and scored four oh, yeah, in the, the space. Four, yeah. um, probably the most fun but I think, was his first game. when he. We Again, we lost uh, only, only 2-1 this time. And... Um, at home against Arsenal and he sat in the wrong came out the tunnel to, with all the kind of photographers there and and then sat in the wrong dugout which is um, and, and apparently his. I mean Big Ron being Big Ron is always a quick his comment afterwards when he was sort of asked about it was yeah I was, I was, I did, I was a bit puzzled uh, as to why we're bottom of the league when we've got Dennis Bergkamp on the bench
0: <laughs> so oh boy um, so it didn't last very long David Platt took over Paul Hart, blank, Gary Megson, Colin Calderwood.
1: Right, Paul Hart. After Paul Hart, it would have been Joe Kinnear, I think.
0: Yep. How fun was that?
1: Um, again, a very outlandish. I mean, we seem to have had a, quite a few of these. A very outlandish character um, in, in 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 some in in ways similar to Big Ron. I uh, always this. I remember this story about when, he, when Forrest approached him to take the manager's job and he agreed to come to Nottingham for talks. And apparently, he, he, couldn't, he got lost and couldn't find the ground. And he actually asked Forrest to turn the floodlights on no, so he, he could he find the stadium. That's stupid. Which I just it...
0: <laughs> he knew where it was. Oh, boy. Uh, and Gary Megson, <laughs> like, I, sorry, I spoke with Chris Lepkowski about Gary Megson quite a lot. But yes, yeah, joking here.
1: Gary Megson. Are we looking for after Gary Megson? Well, after
0: Gary Megson were a pair of Scots, Colin Calderwood it and was... then Billy Davis. Now, what makes Billy Davis stand out among the forest managers of the last 10 years?
1: Well, you could probably write a long list
0: of things that make Billy Davis stand <laughs> out. Yes.
1: He's quite an interesting character. I mean,
0: obviously he's, he's had two stints. So, yep, so um, is Stuart Pearce. Well, Stuart
1: Pearce is interesting. Because his two stints were like, two decades apart as well um, and one was as kind of i think his official title was caretaker player manager first time around when we were in the so this was after frank clark he was still 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 playing for us when he kind of stepped in after frank clark and so yeah that was 1996 and then he came back in 2004 so yeah 18 two stints as manager 18 years apart which is quite interesting um yeah, Billy Davis. Uh, obviously, two stints a bit close together. Um,
0: he was probably got the last manager before Sabri Lamucci to see out a full season. That's
1: right. Yeah, and also, in fairness to him, I mean, for all his critics, uh, probably got us closer to the, got us to most the most to the uh, getting back into the Premier League. Um, yeah, we've, we got us into the playoffs. Twice, albeit in both back to back seasons and in both times we imploded in the semi final. As, as is tradition for Forrest.
0: As you do. Um, Steve Cotterill, Sean O'Driscoll, who preceded Cotterill and who else came after O'Driscoll? And can you tell me the cumulative number of games that the pair of them managed?
1: Oh, blimey, I'd, I'd struggle with that. I know before Cotterill was Steve McLaren. Yep. Yeah. After Sean O'Driscoll... Eh, God, I'm such a geek. I can't believe I know all the know all the. After O'Driscoll, it was Alex McLeish. And I think he was only in charge for about six games. And then he actually resigned. And then it was the return of Billy Davis. Yeah. M- believe-
0: McLaren, 13. McLeish, 7. Is that something going on behind the scenes? Is it no money? Is it something to do with... Rent payment that meant it couldn't go on players? It Was it false promises? What on earth? These are two very good international calibre managers. Well, I think Steve McLaren is a really
1: interesting case because he wherever he's gone, he's either done really well or really terribly. And I think, I don't know what it is. I mean, he seems quite a nice guy and you, you can't imagine him sort of having big fallings out with people. Um, in the, you know, it, Whereas Billy Davis is sort of, individual who could start an argument in an empty room uh, but I think for whatever reason with Steve McLaren it just did not gel at Forrest I also think the recruitment uh, he went he was he did get a bit of money to spend when he came in and I think it's the players he just he bought were just ropey to be honest we had a Ishmael Miller a, a well past his best Jonathan Greening which he sort of both of whom he spent reasonable amounts of money on and for whatever reason, it just did not happen for him at Forest, as, he, as has been the case at very, a number of other clubs yeah. he's as well. And I mean, Alex, Alex McLeish, were by this time we're in the period of the club's history where we were under the ownership of uh, Fawaz Al Hazawi, who is, I think, in a I mean, football club owners is a a bizarre genre of human being, I think. I mean, I think you have got to be a special kind of nutcase to want to invest in a football club, to be honest, in some ways. And Fawaz would be right up there with probably one of the the more bizarre owners that's ever run an English football club. Yeah, I mean, he he got through quite a lot of managers in only four, four years or something that he owned forest before he then sold up to our current current owners um but yeah he he was the club was just chaotic under his ownership um he pretty much sacked everybody behind the scenes so there was no infrastructure and kind of was just giving random jobs to members of his family who just didn't really know how to run a football club bills weren't being paid you know apparently there was a lot in, there was interference with team matters and um, Yeah, I I don't think... There was a horrible atmosphere around Forrest for a lot of his time as owner. I I don't think that helped with any aspect of the club having the chance of being a successful entity, to be honest.